Hello, everybody, and welcome to Man About Knowledge, the show where I, Arnufo the Diaz Jr., shine a light on some stuff that's happening in the world. I do apologize for the fact that it's been about a year since I have made an episode. I hope to remedy that today by giving you an episode. <laughs> um, so I'll give you a breakdown of what I'm going to be talking about today. First, I'm going to start off with a subject that is not very, you know, um, uppity or upbeat. It's going to be a story about a subject that I think is very important to talk about, uh, and that is suicide. Uh, first, I'm going to start with a story about the Golden Gate Bridge and some of the people that take care of it and those people who help the people who are trying to use it as a means to take their own lives. It's a very powerful story, and I'm going to utilize some uh, footage from a TED Talk that a police officer did about two years ago. Um, I think it's great made footage, and it's a good message to deliver. Um, uh, But then I'm going to end the show off with a little bit of news from the medical world. There's some really exciting stuff happening. Um, Some of it that involves growing of skin through means of 3D printing and a spina bifida surgery that is revolutionizing the medical world. So without further ado, welcome to Man About Knowledge. Here we go. The Golden Gate Bridge is a marvel of American ingenuity. It is one of the most recognizable symbols in the world. It spans the mainland of San Francisco to Marine County, just on the other side of the bay. At the time of its construction, a lead engineer said that it would be impossible for anyone to jump off of it. But since its completion, almost 1,700 people have jumped off of the bridge. The hubris of a centuries-old engineer did nothing to help, did nothing to curve the urge of the lost. As long as they have the energy, they will find the way. So after years of curving the attempts of would-be jumpers. In the year 2021, a true fortification of the bridge will be completed. This addition will span 3,800,000 square feet of the bridge and cost upwards of $200 million. At the end of its construction, it this barrier will be the first of its kind. Before this barrier was constructed, the best defense that the bridge had to help these people who would try to commit the ultimate sacrifice were police officers. At first, the police officers who were assigned to the bridge area were not specifically trained in how to deal with people dealing with this giant psychological and mentally taxing state. The process by which uh, these uh, policemen would actually help curb the jumps attempts, first someone would notice a would-be person pondering over the ledge. They would call local police enforcement and then quickly 
police would arrive at the per- to the person. And at that point, it is up to the police officer to coax them from jumping off of the bridge. In the early days, there was simply no training. It was, as I said before, not thought that people would actually attempt to do this. But after many years of this occurring, uh, police officers now are actually trained by other fellow police officers who had surveyed the bridge and have been in talks with the people walk almost coming off of the ledge and with psychologists that help them understand where these people are and to help train them in certain ways of speaking to them to help them not jump off of the bridge. One of these police officers who had worked on the area of the bridge for many years, his name is Kevin Higgins. And at the time of his retirement, he was nicknamed the Guardian of the Bridge. After the many people that he had talked to who were almost ready to jump off the bridge, he had only lost two people in the entire tenure of his career. I'm going to play you an excerpt from a TED Talk that he gave about two years ago. There's a lot in this clip um, that I think is important for people to hear. I'd like to introduce you to a man I refer to as Hope and Courage. On March 11th of 2005, I responded to a radio call of a possible suicidal subject on the bridge sidewalk near the North Tower. I rode my motorcycle down the sidewalk and observed this man, Kevin Berthea, standing on the sidewalk. When he saw me, he immediately traversed that pedestrian rail and stood on that small pipe which goes around the tower. For the next hour and a half, I listened as Kevin spoke about his depression and hopelessness. Kevin decided on his own that day to come back over that rail and give life another chance. When Kevin came back over, I congratulated him. This is a new beginning, a new life. But I asked him, what was it that made you come back and give hope and life another chance? And you know what he told me? He said, you listened. You let me speak, and you just listened. Shortly after this incident, I received a letter from Kevin's mother. And I have that letter with me, and I'd like to read it to you. Dear Mr. Briggs, nothing will erase the events of March 11th, but you are one of the reasons Kevin is still with us. I truly believe Kevin was crying out for help. He has been diagnosed with a mental illness for which he has been properly medicated. I adopted Kevin when he was only six months old, completely unaware of any hereditary traits. But, thank God, now we know. Kevin is straight, as he says. We truly thank God for you. Sincerely indebted to you, Narvella Berthea. And on the bottom, she writes, P.S. 
When I visited San Francisco General Hospital that evening, you were listed as the patient. Boy, did I have to straighten that one out. Today, Kevin is a loving father and contributing member of society. He speaks openly about the events that day and his depression, in the hopes that his story will inspire others. Suicide is not just something I've encountered on the job; it's personal. My grandfather committed suicide by poisoning. That act, although ending his own pain, robbed me from ever getting to know him. This is what suicide does. For most suicidal folks, or those contemplating suicide, they wouldn't think of hurting another person. They just want their own pain to end. Typically, this is accomplished in just three ways: sleep, drugs or alcohol, or death. In my career, I've responded to and been involved in hundreds of mental illness and suicide calls around the bridge. Of those incidents I've been directly involved with, I've only lost two, but that's two too many. One was Jason. The other was a man I spoke to for about an hour. During that time, he shook my hand on three occasions. On that final handshake, he looked at me, and he said, "Kevin, I'm sorry, but I have to go." And he left. Horrible, absolutely horrible. I do want to tell you, though, the vast majority of folks that we do get to contact on that bridge do not commit suicide. Additionally, that very few who have jumped off the bridge and lived and can talk about it—that one to two percent—most of those folks have said that the second that they let go of that rail. They knew that they had made a mistake, and they wanted to live. I tell people, the bridge not only connects Marin to San Francisco, but people together also. That connection or bridge that we make is something that each and every one of us should strive to do. Suicide is preventable. There is help. There is hope. Thank you very much. When I started this podcast, Man About Knowledge, I gave it that name because I feel that knowledge is true power. And the knowledge that Kevin has about the moments. Of people jumping off of the bridge and surviving, that knowledge I think is important to spread to the world, because there really isn't any one of us that has ever known someone who have who has decided to take the ultimate sacrifice and live to tell the story. So I think it is very. Important for us to take away from Kevin's story that every single time somebody has jumped off of the Golden Gate Bridge and survived, they 
immediately regretted it. That's important knowledge to give out to the world. I wanted to talk about this subject because in my life, I have actually felt the despair that makes someone want to take the ultimate sacrifice. But I found my way out of it. It, it was a long, drawn-out process, but now I'm good. And I think it's important for other people who might be dealing with this to understand that it is possible and that the possibility of relief is real. That there are other ways to figure out your way out of it. Everyone's is going to be different. There is help for you available. 1-800-273-8255 That is a number with real people who know at the very least how to listen to you. Life is an ever-revolving door with changing situations and changing paths. If you feel in any way that you want to let go of that life, know that your life can change. And you do not have to take the ultimate leap to gain relief. It is possible for a shift to happen. All right, next up, some exciting stuff happening in the medical world. We're going to jump to Spain. In Spain, scientists have made it possible to 3D print working human skin. Here's a clip from Spain. Bueno, lo que hemos demostrado por primera vez es que es posible mediante técnicas de impresión en tres dimensiones What he's explaining is the whole process. He's saying that they found a way to manufacture truly working skin that can be used in various applications, including medical transplants and for testing drugs and cosmetic products. He also goes on to say how they actually make the skin. So he says they, they use what's called biolinks. These biolinks are made of proteins and each mimicking a different layer of skin. They combine these three layers. They combine these three layers such as colored inks in an ordinary printer. The video goes on to explain how they use the example of a burning victim to explain the benefits of the new technology. So the process would go like this. The victim would go into the hospital. Then they would use tissue samples to get skin cells from the patient, then reproduce those skin cells in the lab. Then with those reproduced skin cells, they would know the exact type of protein combinations so they can tailor make the skin for the specific patient. The turnaround time for this full process is down to a few weeks. Now this research is being done at a university in Spain, but they are partnered with a company called Bioden, and one of their spokespersons on the website states that the initially created skin is a breakthrough, and they're hoping that eventually they will be able to create 
printed tissues that can also grow hair or be used for organs. This is exciting stuff, man. Medical science is moving freaking quickly. It is incredible the amount of things that are happening in the medical world. The next up, there's a next up I'm going to talk about a breakthrough in the spina bifida. So, spina bifida is a condition that affects the fetus. Now, you can see if a child has spina bifida through a sonogram. And most of the time, when spina bifida is discovered, parents are usually given the option and advised to terminate the pregnancy. But now, there is a procedure that is being developed that has only been used about six times, but to great results, where they can actually operate on the fetus while it is still in utero to fix the problem in the spine. Spina bifida causes impaired motor function and paralysis. So with them being able to perform this surgery while the fetus is still in utero, gives parents a lot more options on what to do with the pregnancy. I'm going to play an excerpt of a video explaining the actual procedure. Great Ormond Street and University College Hospital have conducted pioneering surgery to help reduce the symptoms of spina bifida by operating on a baby whilst it's still in the womb. This innovative surgery requires an experienced multidisciplinary team. Surgery begins by giving the mother an anaesthetic which passes to the baby. The surgical team carefully monitor the vital signs of the fetus throughout the procedure. Surgeons open the abdomen and uterus in a similar way to caesarean section and expose the spina bifida defect in the fetus. The neurosurgeon then cuts around the exposed spinal cord, which is protruding through a hole in the back of the fetus. The spinal cord is separated from the surrounding skin and then put back into the spinal canal. A new protective tube is then created around the spinal cord. The muscles and skin are then brought together and stitched closed. This protects the spinal cord and prevents further leakage of spinal fluid. Finally, the uterus and abdomen are securely closed and the mother and baby are taken back to the recovery area. This surgery does not cure spina bifida, but research has shown that it can significantly reduce the severity of the disabilities usually associated with this condition. It's amazing, I think, for all the things that are happening in our world right now. Humanity is moving forward in a lot of other ways that a lot of us are not really noticing. These advancements in medical science are staggering and are very important for the development of humanity. Anyway, thank you for listening. I appreciate you taking the time to actually press play and listen to the whole thing. I've decided these things shouldn't be too long. I'm going to try to keep them at 10 minutes or... A little longer, depending on how I feel about the episode. 
I appreciate you listening. And again, I hope you guys understand that the world is a changing place and there is true knowledge out there that can change your life and also make you stronger and far more powerful in life. Knowledge is power.